Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju Guy. So, what's up, everybody? I hope everyone's doing well uh, today. Before I get started on this episode, I'm sure most or all of you have noticed that I did not put out an episode for the Weekly Kaiju Havoc this Wednesday. That's because uh, something went down. <laughs> um with my poor, my poor little wife. Um, I've told you guys, you know, that she was out of town. She was in Ohio meeting family and all that kind of stuff. And she had a disaster of a return trip that eventually like happened on Wednesday. She was supposed to get home Wednesday. And what ended up happening was, you know, and I'm going to get into the details of it here in a second, but I'm going to try to keep it as short as I possibly can, but, uh, I received a phone call from her at one o'clock Wednesday. I was at work and she was basically like, you've got to come to new Orleans to pick me up from this airport because just some junk. So I was like, well, what, what's wrong? What's going on? And she told me everything that was going on and, and all that. And so I pretty much had to drop everything that I was doing, leave work early uh, drive down to New Orleans, which was roughly a three and a half hour drive from where I work, pick her up and then just turn around and drive back. And, you know, by the time I was going to get back, you know, everything was going to be shut down at work and all of that. So we was just going to be going straight home. And so, yeah, from one o'clock until <clears throat> I got home, which was at about 645 or so, like, I did not get out of my truck. I was just driving to uh, get her and bring her back. So what ended up happening was whenever she was going to be coming back, she, she got a flight that was relatively cheap. And originally what was <clears throat> going to happen was she was going to leave Ohio and fly to Orlando, Florida. She was going to stay in Orlando for a little while. There was a layover and all that, and which then she was going to go from Orlando to New Orleans. She already had everything set up for a rental car um, so that she could drive from New Orleans back to Alexandria, and then she would be home. And the original timetable was that she was going to be home around 11 or noon, or something like that. And so I would be texting her, you know, and all that, seeing how things were going. So whenever she goes to leave, <clears throat> she catches her flight to go to Orlando kind of late at night. And she texted me uh, at midnight saying that she had just landed in Orlando. And so I was like, okay. And I knew that there was going to be a layover and that then she was going to go to New Orleans and all of that stuff. Well, Early in the morning, <clears throat> I'd say roughly, uh, well, I was on my way to work, so it, it was probably about 5.20 or something like that. She called me and was talking about how aggravated she was, and I was like, well, what's going on? And she said that the flight that was supposed to bring her from Orlando to New Orleans got delayed and that she was not going to be taking off from Orlando until four o'clock that evening. Like, so she got there at midnight and she was going to have to wait, you know, about 14, 
16 hours before her flight was going to take off. And so she went and was like, no, you know, this isn't going to fly. I can't just sit here in this airport for, you know, 14 to 16 hours. Like, is there anything else that we can do? And so they said, well, there's another flight that's headed to South Carolina and I mean, North Carolina, and then you can get a flight from there and it will bring you to, uh, New Orleans. And so she said that's what she was going to do. So she called me just basically like, I'm getting on this flight. That's going to be about in 30 minutes or something like that. I'm going to North Carolina and then there's going to be a layover there and she would be catching another flight to New Orleans from there. And so I was like, okay, no problem, whatever. Sorry, you're going through all this and all that. And so she, uh, she goes, she let me know whenever she, she landed and then let me know whenever she was taking off to head to New Orleans and all that stuff. And so I knew she wasn't going to be making it to New Orleans until around noon or something like that. And then she was going to get in her rental car that she had already had secured and everything and then drive. So we were looking at her getting home probably at about four at the, at this point in time now. <clears throat> and so she called me at about one o'clock, pretty much crying her eyes out. Please come get me. She was, you know, she was stressed. She was aggravated going through all the mess and the nonsense. Um, there was a whole ordeal with the rental car and she tried to explain it, but she was just, she was frantic and all that kind of stuff. So I was just like, okay, told my coworkers like, Hey, I got to go, you know, I'll see y'all tomorrow. So I take off, I drive all the way down to new Orleans. I pick her up. She gets in the truck. We take off. We're headed back to, uh, you know, we're headed back home. And so I'm like, okay, what exactly happened? And what had happened is she had booked a rental car through this company called Avis. I think that's what it's called, Avis or Avon, something like that. And it was going to be like a hundred, a hundred bucks, something like that, just to drive the car, you know, back here to Alexandria and then drop the car off. I was going to pick her up at the rental place, you know, and all that stuff. Well, she had everything booked and put her, her debit card information. They took the payment and all that stuff. So she lands in New Orleans. She goes to the terminal to where she can get the the car. Gives them like the confirmation number and all that kind of stuff. And they, they essentially just look at her and say, we can't honor this. And she said, why? And she said, because you made the payment with a debit card. We only take credit card transactions. And Emily was kind of like, well, that's not my fault. Like I booked it online and y'all system let my debit card go through she showed like opened up her bank uh bank app and showed where the money had been taken and this and that like you know like y'all authorized this this is all good so I don't, I don't see how you're sitting there saying that you can't take a debit card transaction considering i'm showing you right here that i made the the purchase and y'all withdrew the money and all of that, like, I'm not, I'm not understanding this. And so they were basically like, no, we're not letting you have the car because you made it with a debit card and not a credit card. So they refunded her the money on the debit card 
but they said it could take up to 10 days for that money to come back. And I, that, that, you know, that kind of stuff aggravates the fire out of me. When you go to make that purchase, oh, they take that money super, super quick right there on the spot. But when it comes to them giving you your money back, all of a sudden that could take up to two weeks. But, um, <clears throat> so anywho, she gets a refund for that. And so she's like, okay, um, you know, like how, uh, what can we do? Like I can, I can do it with a, a, a credit card. I've got my credit card. You know, we can just swipe and, and do this and get this done right here. And so the car, like they set up the same exact car that she was going to have, that she was going to take and everything. And so then the lady pretty much tells her, okay, that's going to be $350. And Emily was like, no, no, no. Whenever I initially made the, the appointment or you know, what, whatever, uh, whatever it is, it was only going to be $150. Where did this extra $200 come from? This lady looks at her and says, well, it's an extra fee because you're making the appointment in person instead of online. And Emily's like, you made me cancel it from online. That's why I'm making it in person. And so Emily decided I'm going to get smart. Okay, cancel that. She walks about 10 feet away and is like, haha, I'm going to make the appointment online right over here. And once everything is good to go, then I'll go over and be like, I'm here to pick up my car. So, you know, she goes over, uh, tries to set it up online, goes to input her, uh, her credit card information and all of that kind of stuff. All except this time, whenever she goes to uh, select the car that she's going to use, all of them are like, $350. There's no like $100 to $150 things left. And so she goes back up and she's like, hey, I'm trying to make this thing online like I did before, but none of them are listed for $100 to $150. Bucks. It's all for these $350 ones. And I can't remember what the lady told her, what, what stupid excuse they came up with. Uh, you know, basically it's, it's them trying to take advantage of people. That's all it is to it because they know these people are at the airports. They need to go. They need to try and get home and everything. They are going to charge an arm and a leg for these rental cars because they know people are going to pay for them. And it's, it's shady. It's dishonest. I, I, I do not, I do not care for it. Um, I told Emily numerous times while she was telling me this story, you better be glad I wasn't there because I would have made a scene, <laughs> you know, I, I would have been on somebody's TikTok or something like that. I, I would, I would have been mad as a hornet that they're, they're doing this to people, but anywho, <clears throat> so she decides, okay, um, so there's no way we can get the car for only like $150, which is what I was originally going to pay. And the lady said, no, it's going to be all together. It's going to be $450. And Emily said, well, wait a minute. Where did this other 100 come from? And they said, well, the other 100 came from because whenever you go to rent the car, we're going to take a $100 deposit. And then once you go and drop the car off, if the car is in good order, we'll refund you your $100. So at this point in time, if she had gone through with that, she had already paid $150 for the car, which they were refunding, which she no longer had. So that was going to be another $200 that was going to come out of, uh, you know, something that was going to be quote unquote refunded. If the car was in good order, I'm sure they would have found some kind of reason as to why the car would not be in good order for her not to get her refund because these people are crooks 
But um, <clears throat> so it was going to end up being four hundred and fifty dollars. She didn't even have that much left on her credit card, you know. And so at that point, you know, she's, you know, she's been to Orlando and then she went to North Carolina and now she's here seemingly stuck in New Orleans and everything. So she calls her, uh, you know, knight in shining armor, her husband. Well, I don't have, I don't have shining armor. I've got like old rusted armor and stuff like that. But, uh, so she called me and was like, I need you to just stop what you're doing and come get me. And so I said, okay. And so I hit the road, took off, you know, went down there and, uh, picked her up. Um, to let you guys know, I, I despise New Orleans. Uh, yes, I, I am from Louisiana. I live in Louisiana. Um, you know, there's a bunch of Louisianians that love New Orleans and that they believe New Orleans is just a tip top, like, picture perfect definition of louisiana culture it is not new orleans is a trash place there's a lot of crime there's a lot of i've never had a good experience in new orleans louisiana and so i was already aggravated just simply having to go to new orleans louisiana but nonetheless just you know drove up to the airport and uh it was a simple enough pickup just kind of wheeled up i saw her you know, pulled up, she hops, uh, uh, hops in the truck and then I just make my way out of the airport and then come all the way back home. And, uh, yeah, got home and, uh, it was about, like I said, probably about 645. And by the time we, you know, let the dogs out and all that stuff by then I was like, I don't feel like cooking. She didn't feel like cooking. So I ran, you know, went down the road and got subway for us and all that. And, by the time we were done eating and all of that kind of stuff, we were looking, it was about 7.30. And I was just like, yep, a podcast episode ain't happening tonight. Like, I just, you know, I was like, I just don't have it in me or anything to do it. And so that's why I did not have an episode um, Wednesday for the weekly Kaiju Havoc. Now, before I jump into today's episode, I'm going to go on ahead and let you guys know that Monday, this coming Monday, in like two, three days, something like that, uh, I have a big announcement to make for the podcast. And I'm saying that now because I want everybody to listen to it, to hear it, and all of that kind of stuff and everything. It's a, it's a pretty hefty announcement. And I just want everyone to be aware of it. So that's going to be, I'm not going to be talking about any kind of movie or anything in particular. So I want everyone to, uh, tune into that episode so that you guys can hear what, what, uh, what's going to be happening with the podcast and all of that. But all of that aside, <clears throat> today, I'm going to be talking about the two season long animated show Pacific Rim the Black. So, that came out in March of... No, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> like, I, I made my notes very uh, frantically <laughs> and everything. Um, in March, March 4th of 2021 is whenever it came out. Now, 
in order to really talk about Pacific Rim the Black, I just barely, I have to spend like maybe just two minutes or so talking about the reception and reaction to Pacific Rim Uprising, which was the second live-action installment of Pacific Rim that was directed by Stephen S. DeKnight. So, everyone <clears throat> knows Pacific Rim Everyone loves Pacific Rim and all that. It is a treasure in the kaiju community. Um, does not get the love that it deserves from average moviegoers and stuff like that. It is a fantastic movie. I have it in my top five favorite kaiju films of all time. Now, with that said, Pacific Rim Uprising did not get that same reception. Personally... I find the film to be enjoyable at the absolute most. But I can honestly see and understand why so many people just flat out strongly dislike the movie. Like, I've read the novelization to the film. Um, I actually read the novelization before I saw the movie. Like, the novelization came out and... We had, look, me and my brother was going to go see the movie. The movie was starting at like six or something like that. I finished the novelization at like five. So I, I literally like, as soon as I finished the book, I closed it. I got dressed ready to go to the movie theater. We hopped in the truck. We went and we watched the movie. And so that's what, um, that's what we did. So yeah, it was not received very well. Uh, the initial plans prior to this film not doing very well was in the movie was released in March of 2018 now in 2017 it was roughly five months or so before the movie came out that a sequel was already not necessarily announced but the possibility of a sequel was announced and was basically like, we're going to do a sequel if people turn up for this one. And it makes lots of money and all of that kind of stuff. And we're going to really expand this universe. Stephen DeKnight, who was the writer slash director of Pacific Rim Uprising, pretty much told people in, in an interview that he wanted to turn Pacific Rim into a Star Wars slash... Star Trek level franchise to where it was just going to be this massive universe that you there would be like a main canon storyline like the films like so the main canon for Pacific Rim is you know the original Pacific Rim and then Pacific Rim Uprising and then Pacific Rim the Black that is the main canon to the Pacific Rim stuff and you have spinoffs, which that's mostly in like the comics and all that kind of stuff. You have prequel comics, sequel comics, comics that take place in between uh, this movie and that movie, you know, stuff like that. He wanted to make it even larger. He wanted to do spinoffs to where like we could take elements from this movie and make that be its own separate movie. He wanted to do things kind of like uh, Rogue One. Rogue One is a stand-like one-off movie 
that serves as no more than just a prequel to Episode 4, A New Hope. He wanted to do things like that with Pacific Rim. The only problem is, is that the Pacific Rim franchise, or Pacific Rim Uprising, rather, its budget was about $170 million, give or take. Its box office gross throughout its entire run was $290 million. That's not good. For a rule of thumb, like, and this is just generally speaking, a lot of people, whenever they look at, like, the budget of a movie or something like that, well, the budget was $170 million. The movie made $290 million. So it nearly doubled its budget. It made money. Correct? No, not correct at all. Because the budget that's in that you see listed for movies and all of that kind of stuff, that is strictly for, like, CGI stuff, sets, equipment, costumes, you know, all of that kind of stuff is in the budget for the movie. There's an entirely separate budget that nobody ever really wants to talk about whenever it comes to movies, and sometimes it can really swing around and bite studios in the tail because their eyes are too big and... They drop too much money on something that ends up not performing very well, and that is a marketing budget. The marketing budget is whenever you see ads being put on TV and in, like, if you're on your phone and you're seeing ads on, like, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, things like that. All of this comes out of the marketing budget. And not just that, it's even like whenever, if you're driving and you see, like, a billboard for a movie or something like that. Like, every bit of that comes out of the marketing budget. Sometimes, the marketing budget is just as large as the production budget. Sometimes, it's even larger. <clears throat> like, uh, for, for example, I'll use the Little Mermaid, the new Little Mermaid, as an example. It has made its budget back. And so, a lot of people were like, okay, it's not a box office flop. Like, you know, but it's still being considered by many to be a flop because um, one number I heard, they said it has to generate at least like $450 million to be able to begin to turn a profit. I saw one number that said the marketing budget was so massive that this film needs to generate at least $800 million to be able to start turning a profit. I believe that's an overreach. The $450 million is probably more likely. I'm not sure where the film is at right now as far as like its box office run goes and all of that, but um, it's not looking good for The Little Mermaid. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not. Uh, they, may, they may end up cross, crossing that threshold. They may already have, for all I know, but it was not the film, no pun intended, that was going to create the massive waves that they thought it was going to be. And so, while it may not actually be considered a flop, it did absolutely underperform where they wanted it to perform. Um, what is actually going to be a box office flop is The Flash. Now, I haven't yet to go see The Flash. I just don't care for going to the movie theater experience anymore and all of that kind of stuff. It's looking more and more likely like I'm just going to wait until... Uh, the film comes out and is streaming on HBO Max or something like that. I'm sorry, Max. They dropped the HBO part. But, uh, yeah, that film is currently sitting at only 
even though it's been in theaters for a week, it's currently sitting at only about 140, I think the last I checked it was 149 million. Uh, that's going to be a flop. Warner Brothers lost their tail on The Flash, and that is mostly due to Ezra Miller being a garbage human being and all of the mess that he's been involved with uh, in the media and getting arrested numerous times and all of that. You get on any comment comment forum on Facebook or whatever, and many of them are like, we're not going to go watch The Flash because Ezra Miller is involved. Not going to lie, it's part of the reason why I really don't want to go Why I don't want to support anything that that clown has to do. And another reason is because the um, extremely overrated and insufferable James Gunn is taking over the DC Comics universe of movies and stuff like that. And so he's rebooting the entire uh, franchise. And so a lot of people are just basically like, why go see this one if it's not going to matter? If they're just going to reboot it in like a year, year and a half or something like that. And so people just aren't interested in it. And what's sad is that I've heard it's a really good movie. I've heard a lot of people say it's a really good movie. I've heard that the CGI is terrible. And I've seen a lot of the CGI on TikTok. And I can tell you, it's pretty terrible at times. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> that's going to end up being a box office flop. And so Pacific Rim Uprising. While it was not necessarily a flop. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't uh, finish my thought there. I kind of went down the rabbit hole. To pretty much determine how a film can really start to generate profit, the rule of thumb is to take the production budget and double it. After you double that, take 50% of the production budget and add that to it. And so that's what it would basically need to generate in order to break even and all of that uh, after covering like marketing and all of that kind of stuff. So basically, if the film had a production budget of about 170, you know, 170 million or something like that, okay? So what would end up happening was you double that, that's now 340 million, and then cut it in half, that's roughly another 80 million, you know, give or take, or something like that, add that to the 340, and you're looking at a number somewhere in the area of about 420 million. That is basically what that film needed to generate in order to hit quote unquote break even point, so that after it, the more that it did, it would start generating a profit and all of that kind of stuff. So 420 million, give or take, and the film grossed 290. So these are by no means official numbers or anything like that, you know, but basically you're looking that this film lost Universal roughly $120 million, give or take, after every marketing and everything else was taken into account and all that kind of stuff, it lost that studio about $120 million. That does not warrant for a sequel, does not warrant for a sequel at all, so... The big shared universe that Stephen S. DeKnight wanted uh, was it's not going to be a thing. So it was, we're done. Um, he had talked about extensively wanting to do a crossover with the MonsterVerse. Uh, not going to happen. Like, you know, they, they were just like, nope. Like, 
you know, it just, it just didn't work out. It just didn't. Um, so yeah, it just, nope. <laughs> I've got, I've got nothing else to say about that. And as of right now in June of 2023, there are currently no plans at all for a third live action film. And I was looking it up, uh, while preparing for this episode, I cannot find anything as to how there's any anything set in stone. Now, something could be announced at any time, you know what I mean? But as of right now, there's nothing that's been announced saying that another Pacific Rim installment, even after the Black, is coming. So it's going to be, if we are going to get something else Pacific Rim related other than a comic book, it's going to be a good while before we're able to get that. So that's just all all it is to that. So, the the sequel film is not happening. So, Netflix, enter Netflix. Netflix decides that they're going to do an animated series for Pacific Rim. That Legendary is obviously the production company that's handling it because they handle Pacific Rim as well as the MonsterVerse and all of that kind of stuff. And so they uh, started working with Netflix about doing an animated show. And the show is run by Greg Johnson and Craig Kyle. And the show ended up running from March 4th, 2021 to April 19th, 2022. Uh, Two seasons. Each season had seven episodes, so a total of 14 episodes altogether. And it was done. The production company that did it was Legendary TV. And the animators that did it was Polygon Pictures. Now, you guys have probably heard that name before. There's no probably to it. You have, if you've been listening to me for a while. Polygon Pictures is the same. It's a Japanese animation studio. It's the same studio that did the Godzilla anime trilogy that is also on Netflix. The reason they decided to go with Polygon Pictures was because Greg and Craig did not know if they wanted to go with 2D animation, which is your standard type of animated um, cartoon or something like that, you know, like anime or just any other kind of cartoon, that is 2D animation, or if they wanted to go with a 3D animation, which is things like Tangled and Frozen and all of that kind of stuff. Now, the more that they got to thinking about it, the more they were like, we just don't think we're going to be able to get certain things done if we go strictly with, like, 2D animation. So they decided to go with 3D, but they wanted to keep a lot of the 2D aesthetics. And so they reached out to Polygon because Polygon is a good blend of both. It's 3D animation, but it has a lot of 2D style to it. And so they reached out to Polygon... Polygon was very, very interested. They wanted to jump on board and do the show and everything. And so they handled a lot of the designs and all of that kind of stuff. Now, one of the big things that happened with Pacific Rim The Black is we got a massive expansion on the Pacific Rim franchise uh, overall. Okay. Um, this show itself, it takes place in Australia. And we got lots of different added things that, uh, you know, that came with the show that expanded the universe and all that kind of stuff. And some things I was really behind. And then there are other things that I just, I was like, really? Like, I have very mixed feelings about this show. I don't know if I've said that already or not. I enjoy it okay. 
Um, I watched season one and season two, whenever they came out, and I've just like, I, I have no desire to ever watch them again. Um, Pacific Rim Uprising, saw it in theaters, and then when I went to cover it in an episode, I watched it again uh, prior to doing that episode. I really have no desire to watch it again. I routinely watch the original one, probably about every two or three months or something like that. I'll plug it, I'll plug it in and watch it because I genuinely love that movie. Um, so I, the, the expanded universe for Pacific Rim has not really hit with me very, very well. And that's upsetting because I genuinely love the, uh, the concept and the franchise and all that. I do like the comics. Now I do like the comics. I'll, I'll say that. But as far as like the live action movie and this TV series, it's been very hit and miss for me. So Basically, what, what this show deals with is that there's a second kaiju war. It's called the Uprising War. And the kaiju, the breaches reopen, the kaiju come out. And they've essentially taken over massive parts of Earth and all of that. We don't really see what the rest of the world looks like in this show. It's really focused just on Australia. Australia is not in a good, a good way. So you can pretty much imagine that if Australia is in that position, the rest of the world is also in that position. That's just how it goes. Um, got uh, a new main Jaeger. It is a Mark III decommissioned training Jaeger. And this Jaeger goes by the name of Atlas Destroyer. I liked Atlas Destroyer. I liked the, <clears throat> the design. I liked the color scheme that it had and all of that kind of stuff. I thought it was a very good protagonist Jaeger that we could have gotten, but let's be honest here, none of them hold a candle to Gypsy Danger. That's just all it is to it. Now, we got a bunch of different, um, some kaiju, and we got other little miniature kaiju species that I'm going to get into and all of that kind of stuff. Um, one of them, the little miniature kaiju species, is something that's called a ripper. Now, this thing is kind of like a dog. Picture it as a kaiju dog. But its official designation is it's a Category 1 Kaiju, just simply because of how small that it is and everything. And I liked them. I liked, I liked the, the, uh, that they brought these in there and all of that. You know, I mean, they're, I don't, you, it's kind of hard to really designate them as a Kaiju in the traditional sense because of their size. But I liked them. I thought they were a pretty good um, addition to the franchise. Now... As far as like one of the main kaiju that was featured in season one, and that is the category four kaiju by the name of Copperhead. Now, whenever I say category four, that means that this puts this kaiju in the same category as Leatherback and Otachi from the original uh, film. Um, you know, whenever they attacked uh, the Shattered Dome, kind of towards the end and Gypsy Danger. Uh, had to uh, come come to the rescue and all of that kind of stuff, as well as whenever they went underwater, uh, Gypsy Danger and Striker Eureka, whenever they go underwater and they battle the other uh, kaiju prior to the Cat 5 coming up, Copperhead is in the same category as them. And I've got to say, I like Copperhead. I like the design of him. Whenever he first showed up, I was like, okay, I like him. I think he looks cool. And all that, I was really hoping that they would have released a, a line of figures for Pacific Rim the Black. To my knowledge, they never have. I have searched. 
I really want to have a Copperhead figure, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> you know, as far as, like, my favorite kaiju in the Pacific Rim franchise, it's always been Knifehead from the original film whenever Gypsy Danger, that's piloted by Raleigh and his brother um, in Antarctica, whenever they go out to try and fight uh, the kaiju with the giant knife-looking head, hence his name. Um, you know, that's been my favorite kaiju ever since I first saw the film. And I have numerous figures of Knifehead. I have two little, like, inch-tall hero clicks of, um, of Knifehead. I'm a big fan of Knifehead. And if Knifehead is my favorite, Copperhead is a very close second. That, like, that's just how much I like Copperhead. And I really wish that they would have done more with him putting out, like, some figures and stuff like that. Um... So one of the other big kaiju-like things that we have is Apex. So in Pacific Rim Uprising, we all saw that, you know, Newt had pretty much made it to where they made automatic uh, Jaegers that did not require a pilot, but they were infused with kaiju properties to where the precursors would be able to control them as Jaeger-kaiju hybrids. Now, Apex, that's in this show is like the last surviving member of those from Pacific Rim Uprising. And I liked him. He pretty much won his independence kind of in a way from the precursors. So they do not control him at all. He pretty much does whatever he wants. He fights humans and kaiju alike. I really, really liked him. I was upset whenever they uh, pretty much killed him off. I don't understand why whenever character when people are doing... TV shows and things like that, why they decide to create something really, really cool and then kill it off nearly immediately. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense. And another trope that I can't stand is whenever somebody else comes in and takes, like, fan-favorite characters and stuff like that and just merely for shock value, they decide to kill that character. And... You know, that's all it does. It just creates shock value and everything. I'm specifically talking about uh, James Gunn in the Suicide Squad, where at the beginning, whenever just about the entire squad gets wiped out and all of that kind of stuff, uh, mainly talking about Captain Boomerang. Captain Boomerang was a fan favorite from the original Suicide Squad movie. Everyone really liked his character. They wanted more to do with him. James Gunn takes over. James Gunn is terrible. James Gunn is overrated. I really wish he would not be in charge of DC Comics movies right now. Um, he pretty much takes over the Suicide Squad. One of the first things he does is kills a fan favorite character just for shock value. And then towards the end, he kills another one. Uh, by the name of Rick Flagg. Like, it just, you know, no, to heck with James Gunn. Like, his his rebooted DC Universe is going to fall flat on its face, I can tell you that right now. But, anywho, all of that aside, um, yeah, Apex was cool. I was really sad to see that they, uh, they killed him uh, as quickly as they did. I wish he had really stuck around. Now, here's one, one, two, the next two things I'm going to talk about is two of the biggest problems that I have with this show. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is Boy. Boy, spelled lowercase b, capital O, lowercase y. That's how it's officially spelled. Um, Boy is a human 
kaiju hybrid that is predominantly in his human form and that can then transform into a kaiju. I'm sorry, but that's just hokey as all get out to me. Like, the, the moment I saw it happen, I was just like, nope. <laughs> you know, I'm a very simple-minded person whenever it comes to certain things. And the original Pacific Rim could not have gotten more simpler. Like, basic premise. Aliens are attacking Earth. They send kaiju. Okay? How do the humans fight the kaiju? With giant robots. That's it. That's the most basic premise you can get with um, <laughs> the original Pacific Rim. And then, and here we are with this one. And there are human, a human and kaiju hybrid of a boy that can transform back and forth between human form and kaiju form. I wasn't very thrilled about it. I thought it was very hokey. I didn't think it really fit with the franchise overall. So yeah, I'm not a fan of boy. I'm not a fan of that. They did that. And that's part of the reason why one of the reasons why I don't look at this series in a very, very positive light. Now, the other thing that I don't look at, that causes me to not look at it in a very positive light, are the Sisters of the Kaiju. They are religious cultists that one of their sects, sect, 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 S-E-C-T, sects, one of them is briefly mentioned in the original Pacific Rim by Hannibal Chow, okay? that they believe that the kaiju were sent by the gods to destroy humanity because of their transgressions. We got a little bit more of an expansion on that in the comics with that particular sect and all of that, and so now another sect has popped up in this series. And season two, like the teaser for season two, I immediately lost 80% of interest in it Whenever it ended with them, you know, first of all, you see Boy turn into a kaiju. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'm not crazy about that. But, you know, it is what it is. And then we see the sisters of the kaiju. And one of them mumbles that the kaiju messiah has arrived. And I just, like, hung my head. And I was like, by God, they're going to do it. Um, going to go ahead and throw out there. I am not a fan of any movie or TV show that uses religious cultists as their main villains for a season or for a movie or something like that. It is a very tired trope. It is something that has been done far too many times. I'm just not crazy about it. it has nothing to do with me sitting there, oh, it's blasphemous or it's this or it's that. I am not a religious individual. I have no stakes in that regard. Whenever it comes to this, I just view it strictly as lazy writing to where somebody, you have a surefire win because it's apparently popular because they've done it so many times and there are people out there that genuinely love a lot of the things that they've done in that regard with those things. But um, for me, I'm just like, it's lazy writing. <clears throat> it's just an easy, it's a cop out to come up with a villain for a series or a movie. Like, whenever you're trying to come up, well, what are we going to do? I got it. Religious cultists. And they believe that whatever the good guys are doing is against the will of God. There it is. There's And there's their reasoning. There's their 
motive and all of that kind of stuff. It's all just laid out for them. It's lazy writing as far as I'm concerned. And so, yeah, I did not care for the sisters of the kaiju with the whole, you know, getting involved with all of that nonsense and everything. Like, you know, like I said, I'm a simple guy. The original Pacific Rim, extremely simple. A giant monster fights a giant robot. That's about as simple as it gets. Once you start throwing human kaiju hybrids and kaiju cultists that believe that the kaiju are the wrath of God and all of that kind of stuff, I'm just like, oh, God, like, just go back to the basics. Just give us a giant robot fighting a giant monster. That's, that's all I want. That's all I care about. So, <laughs> but alrighty, guys, that pretty much does it for Pacific Rim the Black. I didn't have a whole lot to talk about. Um, today in regards of it, there's not a whole lot of information out there as far as it's, uh, production and all of that stuff. So that pretty much does it. I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know next Saturday, a week from today, uh, I'm going to be releasing part one of Jaws on my podcast. Part two of Jaws will be releasing next Sunday, the day after, like, so a week from today, Part one is releasing on my podcast the very next day. Uh, part two is going to be releasing on Kid Kong's podcast. And that's just how we decided to do it. At the time of this recording, he is going to be coming over to the house, um, you know, sometime today, probably in another three, four hours or so. We're going to watch Jaws. We're going to, you know, make our little commentary of whatever it is we've got to say about the movie and all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to record my, I'm going to record my episode with him. And as soon as I hit stop on mine, we're going to start recording on his and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to hear part two, the actual production and all of that kind of stuff of Jaws and everything, because I'm going to be covering uh, Peter Benchley, who is the author of the original book. I'm going to be covering how he wrote the book how it started making waves and certain studios started finding out about it and, you know, Steven Spielberg getting involved in the casting process and all of that kind of stuff. I'm going to cover all of that. He's going to be handling like a lot of the production stuff and all of that kind of mess. That's just how it's going to go. You know, we're doing a crossover. That's what this is. It's a crossover. So, alrighty guys. That pretty much does it. Check me out on all of my social medias. On Facebook, I'm Kaiju Carnage, Godzilla slash King Kong Podcast. I have a Godzilla Ultima fan page. And on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, I am Cal, the Kaiju Guy. So, alrighty guys, uh, a week from today, tune in for Jaws Part 1. And then the following day on Sunday, go to Kid Kong at the movies. Kid is spelled with two Ds in his, uh, in his title. So, Kid Kong at the movies to listen to Part 2. Uh, in just like two days, Monday, please be sure to tune in to uh, Kaijurama because I have a big announcement that I'm wanting to make and I want everybody to be able to hear it. So, alrighty guys, this has been Pacific Rim the Black. We'll catch you all next time. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy signing out.